you're sitting just a little bit further away from your mic. And as you know, I always tell clients, sit up straight, lean into the mic, because your body language is everything. We don't want our viewers to think that you're being defensive. We want you, them to think that you're confident in answering all questions and uh, making coherent statements, and everybody in the room could hear you. Anyways, that, that's the spiel that I give to uh, clients. But David just uh, recently asked, you know, whether I've testified in court. As you know, I've testified hundreds of times because you've heard me tell this to clients. But you're always nervous, right? Always nervous, you know. And uh, I think people that aren't nervous when they go into court, they're going to lose because that's called being cocky and thinking that you know it all, right? You know. So you're looking good. You got you're close enough to the mic. Let me hear you. Say hi, Don. Hi, Don. Okay. That's good. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay. So, um, you know, we get, we're going to be talking about an appellate court decision, and the holding on it is really not the, the biggest holding in the world. It's not the, uh, the biggest case in the world, but we've got some facts that are fun to talk about. Uh, I thought before we would do that, we'd have some fun talking about our recent court experiences. Um, uh, just yesterday, I went to Ventura County, drove all the way by my little lonesome. It took me about an hour and a half to get there. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever been in that courthouse before, uh, I, but I've been to Ventura County uh, on legal matters, but I think that was the first time I appeared in the court. I could tell you that it's not a bad drive post-COVID. You know, it's kind of scenic. If you leave, an hour and a half is not that bad. But the courthouse, you would think that you were in an industrial complex. You know, it's kind of like the one that you would see in, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, – Rancho Cucamonga. Have you ever been to that courthouse? No, I haven't. Okay, so picture yourself in an industrial complex, you know, and you're going in there and you're looking for the courthouse and you can't see it because they're just these buildings. That's what it looks like. They have this government complex and it's really, really large. I mean, it's acres and acres of property with, it looks like a walking path around it. Uh, but you wouldn't know that there's a courthouse there unless you look really closely and you saw the sign. Uh, you know, I, I can't think – you've been to the Chatsworth Courthouse before. Yes. Now, that's a real pretty courthouse, but surrounding it is an industrial area, mm-hmm. right? So so this one out there kind of reminds me of the industrial area surrounding the Ch- Chatsworth Courthouse. Uh, I think as attorneys, we like to think about the courthouses uh, a lot. I mean, it's part of our profession. I've got my favorite, so I thought I'd start off today by asking you, what are your favorite courthouses that you've been in or or that you've actually seen? I don't think I have, so I don't know if I have a favorite courthouse. Um, I would agree that the Chasworth one is, is pretty nice. Um, I haven't, maybe I haven't been to as many as you have. I've been to, obviously, downtown, Stanley Mosque, Pasadena, Van Nuys, which is, like, probably my least favorite, <laughs> um, aesthetically speaking. Um, Van Nuys, Chasworth, uh, Whittier. Um, I would mm. say my top would be maybe aesthetically, you know, um, would be maybe Chatsworth and I, I kind of like the Whittier courthouse because mm. it gave you like a like a homey feeling yeah. you know it was a small one and it was pretty new it wasn't too outdated um, and I think for me like you know knowing where the parking lot is and having a parking lot that's easily accessible those are like um, I guess the top you know priorities so I think um I think Whittier had a a lot that was like free or like five bucks, which which is like cool, you know. You don't yeah. see that with a downtown courthouse. So I would say probably Chatsworth, Whittier, and then Stanley Mosque and Pasadena, then Van Nuys. 
Okay. Be, like in that order. Okay. And okay. those are all the ones I've been to so far. So. You're, you're probably forgetting one or two that you've been to, but uh, that's funny. Whittier, I think, is you're right. It's not so much always the look; it's the feel right. when you're there, right? And the Whittier one was changed to a family law courthouse uh, after the banks had collapsed, and uh, they closed down a bunch of the. Um, and we're talking about like 2008. They closed down a bunch of courthouses. That was one of them. It used to be a like a criminal mixed mm-hmm. mixed like most of them, but then they reopened it as a family law courthouse. And you're right. I mean, what was what's nice about there is there's just this real calm vibe, which is unusual for family law cases. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not overcrowded, you know. And the and the clerks were real happy in the CS. Remember right. that we went in there. So right. yeah, I agree. That's that's got to be one of the top ones for me. Um, if we're talking about modern courthouses, Chatsworth, I think mm-hmm. is a good choice for you. But you haven't been to Long Beach yet. I haven't. No. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, so the ones in the LA County that are pretty spectacular are uh, Chatsworth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Long Beach one, and then there's the airport courthouse. And you'll see the airport courthouse when you're driving to LAX. You'll mm-hmm. see it right off the road. It's this very modern building. They're all pretty similar, but if I were to rank the top one out of that, you have to go to Long Beach. Long Beach was uh, finally built after years of a decaying, horrible courthouse over there. And, you know, it makes you feel prouder of your profession and the Constitution and, you know, red, white, and blue and, you know, and all that stuff. And you go in there and you go, man, I can hang out here. And they have all the modern things inside the courtroom, you know, as far as the uh, ability to plug in and the screens and all that. So I would say modern-wise, yeah, I could find myself in Long Beach a lot. I'm surprised you put Pasadena higher than Van Nuys because Pasadena Courthouse, I know it's close to us. Right. I feel more comfortable. I think I was also judging it off of comfort. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I agree because it's our home court. But, they, you know, I can't complain. We've got we've got a courthouse in our city. It's five <laughs> minutes from the office. Okay, I like it, that. But that is one of the ugliest courthouses I've ever been Agreed. in. For the longest time, the, the elevators don't work and, you know, and stuff like that. But at least it's close by. Now let's talk about some real courthouses, okay? Things, courthouses you've never been in and you've got to in your legal career. I've been to um, a couple of federal courthouses during school. So I did like a, a mock, you know, trial. I was taking a trial advocacy class and the professor was a, a judge. So he had us go into his courtroom. It was pretty intimidating because it's obviously it's much bigger than the state courthouses and the judge is real far away from you and he's sitting up higher than in state courts and um it it was even though it was like you know just an assignment it was pretty intimidating so i i don't think i'd want to be in a federal courthouse it's funny you say that i've got a couple of friends that do all their work in federal court and it's extremely formal Mm -hmm. you know like you said it's intimidating because it's so formal looking uh but beautiful so i i really i don't think i've ever i I know i haven't i've never handled a case in federal court but i have handled a, a case uh in a lot of the old courthouses that are out here. And I like the old stuff, you know, because I love history. I would say that I'm going to name some of my favorites, okay, then I'm going to rank them, okay? So uh, the San Bernardino old courthouse there, if you ever get a chance to go there, it's magnificent. It's got the old brass rails that lead up to the steps. Um, And I am old enough where I practiced in the old courthouses before the modern ones were built back in Chicago. Actually, I didn't practice as a cop. I appeared in front of this our our county courthouse, so I know what that feel like. It's almost like you could smell the cigars, you know, mm-hmm. inside there, you know. And, and there used to be a, there's so many stories with these old courthouses and stuff. But um, in here in California, San Bernardino's a must. If you're an attorney, you have to go there. 
um, then I think that uh, the Santa Barbara Courthouse. Now, if you ever go there for a weekend with your husband and you've got nothing else to do, uh, go walk by there. Try to get into it. I don't know if you could get into it on the weekend or anything, but everybody that's been in there is like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. Um, I don't think there's any old courthouses in L.A., but I, I understand that there's a courthouse in Catalina. Did you know that? No. Yeah, yeah. there's uh, people that practice in, in, at the Catalina. They have to take the boat in the morning to go over there. The court is only open, I guess, a couple times a week. Wow. And so the judge and the attorneys get on the boat, and they go over there and you know do their thing and then come back. Yeah, I, that's one that I want to go to. Um, let's see, where else do I? The Santa Ana Old Courthouse, which is there, uh, but they they have more of a museum, you know. Um, it just it seems to me that in the United States we ought to preserve our old courthouses. I mean, there's just something about that, and not make them into apartment complexes or, you know, things like that. But try to use them too. You know, the the uh, Hall of Justice, which is downtown, that you've probably not noticed when you go down there but if you take hill street and you go past chinatown up over that hill when you're coming down towards Mm -hmm. the library right before you hit the criminal courts building there's the old hall of justice and it's got so much history to it in there and they've refurbished it and they're using it again Mm -hmm. you know and stuff and that's what we should do with our courthouses i think i I think this is appropriate because we're talking about fourth of july you know and you know all the history and stuff you know with this country yeah i love i love history too and um, I think, yeah, if, if you preserve it in, in the right way, it could look nice, but not like, you know, Pasadena where it's, that's not what you consider when you say old, you know, more no. historic and that, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you're talking about preserving the, mm-hmm. the going back to the San, uh, San Bernardino courthouse inside the rooms that I were in, the courtrooms, they've, they've even done the inside of them where they've put the old pictures of the judges wow. on the walls and, and stuff, you know. Um, you're still practicing family law. It's not like, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> you got people arguing against each other, but it, to me, it's kind of fun. Okay. So we have a case to talk about today and it's going to be, uh, a quick holding. The holding was what basically? So the case is marriage of Carlisle. It was, um, only a small part of the decision was published, but basically the holding is that even an injunction such as a domestic violence restraining order um, could be renewed even if it's up on appeal during this this time. So, um, you know, in the case, you know, wife had a two-year, I think, two-year restraining order, which she moved to renew. Um, but because the, the appeal to the initial restraining order was still pending, husband disagreed with the court and uh, the Court of Appeals upheld the trial court in, in holding that the um, the trial court could properly renew the original restraining order, even though the husband's appeal was still pending. Very interesting, uh, to the extent that what we're learning is is that the first restraining order mm-hmm. was being appealed. Correct. Okay, and during that appeal, was the restraining order uh, stayed? No. It wasn't, right? No. And so then uh, wife coming up because appeals take a long time right so wife goes in there and she says hey i, I want a, a renewal mm-hmm. and uh, it's granted and then the husband appeals that decision and says wait a minute you can't do this mm-hmm. because there should have been a stay mm-hmm. okay and the court of appeal disagreed with the with the husband correct the court disagreed and you know the the standard is if as long as it serves the ends, ends of justice um it could be renewed 
and the court thought it did um, in this specific case, so it renewed it and it upheld the trial court. Okay. So what happens if these the first appeal, uh, the husband prevails and the, and the original restraining order is, is done with? You know, that's a great question. <laughs> I had the same question. I have no idea because you can't really take that back, right? I mean, it's already... I'm sure. I'm sure that there's probably going to be there would be a dismissal. Now For we're, sure, we're yeah. going to talk about this case here, and I doubt that that's going to happen because it, it's the facts of these cases that is the reason why I want to talk about it. But um, it, it just seems to me that when we're talking about protecting people's safety, that the court of appeal just made a common sense you know choice here and said no. You know what? We're going to allow these restraining orders to continue to be issued, and they're in full force and effect pending the appeal mm-hmm. because what are we going to do we're going to allow people that that are you know committing domestic violence or harassing people to get a time out you know a time off you know you get the next two years to continue your harassing because right. you filed a, a frivolous appeal right so, i think it would open the door to people doing this abusing the the system so. yeah okay so now let's talk about the juicy part of this case that has nothing to do with necessarily the uh, the decision uh but we've got two parties now are they married and here are they already divorced? Um, so I think it was during the pendency of the dissolution. So tech, they were separated, but legally, I think they were probably still married. Okay. And talk to us about the occupations of these two people. So they're both attorneys, and the wife is actually a family law attorney from, from what it looks like. I think the husband probably did um, practice civil law, but I don't think he was a family law attorney. Okay. And they're in Northern California? I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they are. And so... Um, what was interesting to me about this case is the type of harassment that we had, right? Um, because they're both attorneys, same profession, same county, same courthouses, mm-hmm. their paths crossed a lot, right? A lot, yes. Yeah, people say in the in the legal profession, and I think this is so true, is, is that it's a small world. Mm-hmm. Even, even here in L.A. County, which is probably one of the busiest counties in the world for, for legal matters, we all know each other practically, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least in the family law but you go up to places like Sacramento, and by the way, I've been in that courthouse, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you that some courthouses are like the DMV. We talk about the industrial. That's one right there. You walk in there and you go, is this supposed to be uplifting? You know. Uh, so anyways, they're up in that very small world over there of attorneys, and they're crossing each other. And that means that what? They've got mutual friends, mutual colleagues. associates, colleagues. Mm-hmm. What happens? So there are a couple instances where... Um, you know, they, for example, they they had a hearing on the family law case, their divorce, and then the wife happened to have a hearing um, in the same courtroom for one of her cases, and the husband would, um, you know, say things to her, make comments, oh, I should have never gotten married, or um, approach her while she's with a client and say she's not a good family law attorney because she had to hire her own attorney in our divorce, say things like that to the wife, and... Um, there was a, another instance, I think, where he um, he made a false claim that he was representing her in a civil case. Um, I think maybe personal injury. I'm not sure what type of case it was, but things like that that happen all the time, and you know, in the courtrooms, in the hallways, and you know, he would say things about her to mutual friends, colleagues, other practitioners, things like that, which she considered to be harassment. And the court agreed with her. Yeah, and it was harassment, and that's just a little bit of what he was doing. He was also doing the, the standard usual things, like coming around the house. Right, and, driving by and putting a 20-foot banner at the end of the road and 
Um, what? What was that? A banner? <laughs> he put a yeah. He he put a twenty foot long birthday banner for their daughter, who was also protected by the restraining order. And I guess they, her and their daughter, lived on this secluded part of town where there was only one road leading up to the house. So he blocked the road with this huge birthday banner, and he admitted to doing this also in his pleading. So yeah. So. Um, crazy you know Abe Lincoln said what about he said you know a man who has who represents himself has a fool for a client right so this attorney in spite of the fact that he's schooled in law was representing himself throughout right. the trial and up on appeal court of appeal really spanked him didn't, didn't they I mean they had some pretty harsh language for him I think uh, if you read the uh, decision they uh, they respond to his arguments in a, in a very cursed way more than than normal Right, uh, maybe he should have also gotten his own attorney because he made fun of the wife for having an attorney. Yeah, um, during the divorce, and it seems like you know he should have done the same. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think you know he doesn't do himself a favor either. I mean, what's he going to do practice wise? You know, he's he's going to be enjoying from you know being close to her, right, hundred yards away. And his excuse here was, hey, we have the same profession, so I can't possibly do that. Mm-hmm. But believe me, a court can do that. The court could say, look, dude, you've uh, violated all your trust, you know, with the court. You know, you're coming within 10 feet of her while she's with clients. You're making disparaging comments. You're talking to colleagues, you know, about her in her presence and, the, you know, in situations that, are, that really are just going to hurt her. You know, we're going to now exclude you. You're not going to be coming to these courthouses while she's there or whatnot. And it's almost like... Uh, I don't know what what the result would be, but you would think that he'd maybe have to practice somewhere else. You know, if he if he you know maintains his license, you know, and stuff. I don't I don't know if any of this stuff would have gone to the state bar, but man, it was horrific, horrific with respect to going into the court and right. messing with their clients like that. So I actually Googled him on their website to see if he was still licensed, and yeah, he's still active. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so wow. I mean, I I. Uh, I just thought that I've seen a lot of cases before, uh, and you know a lot of the people out there have emotional issues, right? Right. You know, uh, and it doesn't matter what the profession exactly. is. Exactly, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I think the more, I mean, it's it's interesting because we have some pretty high professionals as as our clients, and you know, CEOs and doctors, and uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. People, you know. People will act how they act and let their emotions uh, get the best of them. And sometimes the uh, the ones who are, you know, on paper are more professional act crazier than the ones who I are. I agree 100%. You know, I think that when I started getting into family law, I assumed the opposite. Mm-hmm. I thought that the more learned, uh, educated people would take the high road. High road has nothing to do with intelligence or nope. with de- degrees or anything like that. In fact, so, like you said, there's some of them are the craziest. The, the hardest people to represent are attorneys. Right. You know, and, and you would you would think, no, are you kidding me? But sure enough, they want to jump in and take over the case. And and, and you know, if they, even even if they do some family law, they want to file motions that don't make sense and mm-hmm. things like that and stuff. So attorneys are very difficult clients. This guy was a difficult client for himself. Uh, I think second to that are cops. Now, cops only because of the fact that, you know, they, they're they used to getting their way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. We have, yeah, we've had a couple. Um, I think I've only had one. All right, I currently have one client who's an attorney, but uh, luckily 
you know, it's not hard working with her, but um, cops for sure. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they're on the other side. Oh my God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I I love representing cops because I'm a former police officer and mm-hmm. I just have this thing that I just want to go to bat for them. But whenever I take a case on it, it's like, okay, take a deep breath and go, here we go. Cause, because most of them are all the same. You know, it's like they don't want to be told what to do <laughs> you know, by the court because they're used to, you know, uh, being, being in charge all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. So very interesting. Well, what lessons did we learn from this decision, if any? Um, I mean, legally speaking, you know, I guess it's good to know that an injunction such as a DVRO is not stayed pending an appeal and it could even be renewed during that time. Um, I think that was the biggest legal takeaway. Um, other, otherwise, you know, don't represent yourself, <laughs> especially in an appeal. <laughs> Appeals are pretty technical and you should always try to you know, hire someone to help you out with that. And I think just appealing DVROs in general are pretty difficult to do that. And I know we we're always very careful with our clients whenever they want to appeal a restraining order because um, judges always, you know, the trial court always does a good job of preserving the record and making factual findings. So I think they're pretty tough to overturn on appeal. Yeah. I mean, if they made factual findings, it's going to be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very surprised. I think, you know, what happened with him is what happens with a lot of people is is that he doesn't care anymore about the legalities. He just wants the fight. Right. You know, and stuff. And right. So he got his fight, and there you go. Right. And I was I was surprised that, you know, the initial restraining order was issued for two years, I believe. And, you know, appeals do take long, but, I mean, it could have definitely been done during that time. So I was surprised to see the, the appeal still pending while the renewal was. It was it during COVID? Was this a no, cult? this was back in 2015. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Let's assume that he violates the restraining order. Then what does the wife do? So I think he did. I mean, one of her claims on the renewal was that he did violate the restraining order during the time it was still in effect. Okay. But what remedies does she have? She's got contempt, right? You mean during the, like, after it's renewed or during that time it's on appeal? Well, while it's still in effect, you know. In, in yeah, active. definitely, because it's, it's a valid order, and if he's violating it, then, um, one, she could use that for the renewal, and, two, she could go in and file a contempt against him. Yeah, so it can only get worse for him, I would think, right. you know. I mean, he gets a contempt, now he's got a, you know, a criminal uh, trial. I don't know how the state bar would deal with that, but now you're getting into some serious stuff, and then yeah. violating it again and again and stuff like that, so... You know, uh, these restraining orders do have teeth if they're handled the right way, if they're they're enforced the right mm-hmm. way. So cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'll see you next time. See you.